Let's look at Proverbs 21 tonight, verses 27 and 28. Proverbs 21, verses 27 and 28. And uh, a couple interesting things in these two Proverbs I'm excited to show you tonight. Proverbs 21, verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. That's interesting. Right there. The man that heareth speaketh constantly. Well, hopefully we'll get to that. If I don't wax too eloquent on uh, verse 27, we'll see how it goes. The way everything's going tonight, we could, you know, anyway, things are not working the way they're supposed to, but... Uh, Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can open the word together for the wisdom that you give us so liberally and freely. I pray that we would see this as wisdom from you that we would desire to know. And uh, then that as we see the wisdom that you're giving us, as we open it up together, that not only would we be delighted by it, but that we would be delighted to live by it, that it would shape our minds, that it would Uh, Give us a lens to see the world so that we are uh, looking through your eyes at the world around us and that you would then make us wise because of this. I pray that uh, you'd help me as I open the word to your people, that I would uh, also have wisdom in how to say what needs to be said here. And uh, I pray that we would all receive the word gladly as coming from a good God who wants his people to be wise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? Notice what the proverb tells us. The sacrifice itself is hateful. to The sacrifice, not the wicked. The sacrifice is hateful. God hates it. That's what he says. It is abomination to him. That isn't accounting for anything else in the picture. Not the man making the sacrifice. Not his purpose or his intention in the sacrifice. Only the sacrifice itself is abomination to God. And then Solomon makes a a how much more. The technical term. An a fortiori argument Here, an argument that extends how much greater, he says, if the sacrifice itself is hateful, how much more is his wicked mind when he brings that sacrifice? If God detests the sacrifice itself, how do you think he sees the wicked mind of the one who brings it, the offerer? When God tells us that he finds something abominable, detestable, we should uh, perk up. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the wrong side of what God hates uh, for sure. It is the better part of wisdom to know that so that we might avoid it. Now, notice first what God says is abomination. The sacrifice of. Of the wicked, the things that wicked men 
offered to God as an act of worship, God says not only he's not flattered by it, he's not, he's not, you know, it, it, how we are when, when we're offered a gift. And even if, even if it's your worst enemy, you're kind of, you know, especially if it's a good gift, a nice gift, you're, you're drawn a little by that. It, it placates you a little bit. And the Bible says not only is God not stirred in any kind of favorable way, he hates it, hates it. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what the things are, how deep the sacrifice that was made in order to give it, God still hates it. A wicked man can sell all his goods and give it all to God, and God still hates it. And that should strike fear in our hearts. Because God cannot be bought off by gifts by sacrifices. God cannot be placated by these things. What did God say to Saul through the mouth of prophet Samuel? Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And how much value does God place in sacrifice? For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So look at this. Because God is telling you what he does despise, what is abominable to him. And then telling you what he does not despise. A broken and a contrite heart. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Okay, so God is communicating this to you very carefully. In his word, that sacrifices, I'm going to say this later, so I'm going to get ahead of myself. The sacrifices are somewhat risky. God may very well be angered by a sacrifice that we give. Be, I don't want to say be cautious. But don't be casual in the sacrifices that you give. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 1. The opening lines from the prophet Isaiah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the offerings of rams. Have you ever said that? I'm full up to here with this. That's what God is saying. I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. 
Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is what God says. Just to put into perspective the sacrifices and offerings that his people offer to him. The prophet Amos in chapter 5 verse 21 said, speaking on behalf of the Lord, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts, Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. This is, this is the thing that Christians get wrong so often. Because we tend to think, like people do, that a sacrifice, an offering to God will please him, will placate him. And so we give with a hard heart. And that's exactly what God does not want from you. And he communicates that as clearly as anything in the Bible. This is, in fact, one of the things that distinguish the God of the Bible from heathen gods, from idols. Because how do you approach a heathen God? How do you approach an idol? Huh? You bring him a gift. That's why you see Buddha. You see dollar bills stuck all over his head and all over his hands. You see these idols in in uh, different uh, third world countries. And there will be food offerings all over the place. And there will be candles set before him. And there will be money at his feet and so on. All of that. Why? Because idols are placated with gifts. If you want something from the idol, you must bring a gift. The God of the Bible is not mercenary. This is not an exchange that he's making between him and you, where you come bring me a gift, and if your gift satisfies me, then I'll hear you. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not how he works. Only idols can be placated by sacrifice. Only idols. And God hates sacrifice when it comes from ungodly, let's say it this way, unrepentant people. When the sacrifice was offered in faith with repentance and reformation, Matthew Henry points out, God was highly honored and greatly pleased. But the sacrifice of the wicked is a sham trying to buy God off 
shows such a low view of God. When the wicked refuse to acknowledge God or surrender to him, when the wicked continue in those things that God hates, how can you expect, how can you think that God will be pleased by that? You think that you can continue, can carry on in your rebellion against God and that he'll overlook it for a gift? I mean, honestly, that's, that's as low life as any banana republic in any, part, any third world part of the world. It's, that's as low a view of God as one could possibly have. And by the way, as I said already, this is how we recognize that the God of the Bible is authentic, the true and living God, because he can't be bought off, because he demands sincerity first, then sacrifice. Don't, don't come in to me with your sacrifices from an insincere heart. And heathen gods and idols don't know the difference. But the God of the Bible does. He sees the heart. He sees. He knows what's going on there. So the proverb tells us that the sacrifice to the wicked is abomination. The wicked refers to those who are unrighteous, guilty, in violation of the law, criminal, godless. And their sacrifice is detestable, repugnant to God, loathsome, hateful. As an earlier proverb taught us, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. So in Proverbs 15 and verse 8, you have that contrast, what God delights in. So it's, God, it's not just that God is picky, fussy, you know, a fuss budget, the crab apple, right? It's not that. It's not just like you've got that hermit neighbor, you know, and you can't please him, but you certainly can displease him, right? Uh, we, when our first house, uh, our neighbor was a hermit and uh, never mowed his grass. And, and, you know, a few years and I just thought, oh, you don't want to intrude, but then, uh, you know, this, there are other things that come with unmown grass. And so um, I finally went over and just mowed his grass. I just, I mean, it was a small yard and it was not hard and I ran over it. And then later that night, I saw the neighbor out there squatting down in the grass, looking at it and going like, how'd this happen? Why'd he do this? And uh, very unhappy with me. And, uh, you know, I learned then that you could never please him, but you certainly could displease him. And a lot of people look at God that way. But God tells you, he tells you what is his delight. The prayer of the upright is his delight. That's what he delights in. <clears throat> but then notice how the proverb advances the thought here in this case. This is a different time here. So the sacrifice of the wicked is still an abomination to the Lord. But now the idea is advanced. How much more if he brings it with a wicked heart? A wicked mind, actually, is what it says. The proverb is asking a rhetorical question based off of that first line. 
You know, we don't see a lot of rhetorical questions in the book of Proverbs, so this is unique here. And a rhetorical question is always meant to impact you, to drive home the point. You know the answer. You know that's the point of a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it. So when you ask a rhetorical question and somebody pipes up with the answer, they missed the point. Okay, the point is to stress the answer because it's obvious what the answer is here. And in this case, we have a kind of synthetic parallelism. The the rhetorical question is advancing this, uh, but there is a parallelism in it as well between the phrases of the proverb. The second line, advancing, extending the idea in the first so that we see what the proverb is getting at here. Because this proverb has more in mind than unrepentant, godless people attempting to curry favor with God by means of a gift. Notice what the proverb says. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? Now the King James provides a marginal reading here and the margin says that with a wicked mind means in wickedness. When he brings it in wickedness. How much more when he bringeth it in wickedness. The Hebrew word order is how much more when with a wicked mind he brings it. So the Hebrew reverses the order there. A wicked mind can mean with evil intent. The word, the Hebrew word there means infamy, shameful behavior. A plan or device that is wickedness. And the wickedness here speaks of behavior that is lewd, shameless in relation, particularly in relation to sexual behavior. So what he is saying here, right? What he seems to have specifically in mind is sexual impurity. That the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination, but how much more when he brings it, when he's harboring lust and impure thoughts and immoral behavior. So get the picture here. The, the man is plotting how he might get away with it. How he might get a pass, an indulgence from God. How he can conceal his sin and keep it from exposure. Because he wants to keep doing it. He wants to keep doing it. And what's most wicked about this man is not the behavior he's engaged in, but his intention in bringing the sacrifice. Certainly his behavior is bad, but now this is what he's doing. He's making his sin far worse because he brings an offering to God in a vain attempt to get God off his back. 
to ease, to salve his own conscience with this. Because he hasn't repented. He's bringing the sacrifice out of um, an unrepentant heart. He has no desire to change his ways or to be free from the sin. He doesn't bring the, the offering, the sacrifice as an act of worship out of a desire to honor God. He brings the offering because he thinks his sacrifice will help him avoid divine judgment even while he continues in the sin. He may intend to bribe God in order to gain God's pleasure. Despite the fact that he's engaged in a sin which he has no plans to quit. Or he might be trying to impress people with his piety. Because, you know, when people see a a, a man giving extravagantly or making extravagant sacrifices, really demonstrating a devotion to God in a public way, nobody thinks that that man would be engaged in something scandalous. He might, in fact, think that he'll impress people with his piety, his devotion, his his giving, and he can then take advantage of them. And so he keeps on bringing, by the way, the, the, uh, the verb, he brings it with an imperfect, with a um, wicked mind. The, the verb bring there is an imperfect, which means that he keeps on bringing it and bringing this offering despite his unrepentant sin. He keeps bringing it, keeps bringing this offering. <clears throat> it was uh, Matthew Henry said, even wicked men may be found in the external performances of religious worship. Many can freely give God their, their beasts, their lips, their knees who would not give him their hearts. The Pharisees gave alms, but when the person is an abomination as every wicked man is to God, the performance cannot but be so, even when he brings it diligently, the consistency of his bringing it. When holiness is pretended, but some wickedness intended, then especially the performance is an abomination. Kyle and Delich argue that this sort of thing attempts to bring God in with the sin, as if we try to get his approval for it, at least passive approval, where God is no longer disapproving of us. This is the thing. The kind of wicked mind that thinks that God can be placated with a gift is, is a, the kind of mind that looks at God like he's one of us who can be bought off. The sacrifice is offered and we then have the sense that we're off the hook. Things are okay then between me and God. Now, you're listening to me, but I want you to think here. Do we do this? Sometimes 
Do we do this when we're in sin and we don't want to change it? And we don't want to admit it. But we don't want God to be unhappy with us. And so we do a little extra. We give a little extra. We show a little more devotion. A little more piety than what we did. And God says, if I hate the sacrifice of the wicked, I hate it so much more that he brings it with evil intentions. This is why Jesus taught his disciples, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled unto thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Now I switched gears on you there. I switched like we did a sudden turn because you thought this is all about sexual sin, sexual immorality. And then I changed it to having awed against your brother. Listen, the wicked mind here. That has the the Hebrew word has the connotation of lewdness, but it is not limited to that. Not at all. Now, normally when we talk about um, there being odd between you and your brother. Normally, we we will tell you that you should not take the Lord's Supper. That's usually what people say. Pastors say from the pulpit. But that's not what the Bible says. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you are bearing holding a grudge against your brother, that you should just keep coming to the Lord's table. But the point that Jesus made was that if you have ought against your brother before you give your offering. Now, this is what's uncomfortable for me. Because I want you to just give and give and keep on giving. Nothing should disrupt your giving. But Jesus says, don't put your offering in that offering box. If you're holding a grudge against a brother. If there's a problem between you and someone else. Get that right. Then give your offering. Now, let me pause here and say. Don't be saying to me, well, pastor, I'm just bitter at that person over there and I'm not willing to fix it, so I'm not giving my tithe anymore. (laughs) Yeah, this is, there are all kinds of ways to rationalize these things, but but the point is this, and this is what I'm trying to stress to you. There is no offering, there is no sacrifice that can substitute for repentance. None. None. Don't think it. Don't think that I can, I can get this fixed by giving a little more. You can't. You can afflict yourself. And many do when they're in the grip of lust, overwhelmed by guilt. They afflict themselves. They impose strict discipline on themselves. I am not going to do this. I am not going to do that. That's, that doesn't fix it. 
You can give up pleasant things. Things you enjoy, things that make your life easier or more comfortable. You can punish yourself. You can make all sorts of promises to God. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This is what God wants. Obedience, not sacrifice, right? The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God will not despise. So let me give you some points of application here. The the proverb in no way argues against open devotion to the Lord or sacrificial giving or any of that. There is, of course, one sacrifice that placates God. And it's not really right to say placates him. One sacrifice that satisfies God and his demands for justice, his righteous demands for justice. And that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. A body thou hast prepared me, the Bible says. The sacrifice, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ is our propitiation, the sacrifice that satisfies God's justice. And so we look to that. It's foolish for us to think that I can give a gift I can do this, I can do that, and that will fix things between me and God. We rely on the, the, the bleeding sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be our source of pardon and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. If um, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanseth us from all sin. This is a perpetual promise to the people of God. Praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> so I am not arguing against open devotion to the Lord. Nor should anyone uncharitably be suspicious of someone who's especially zealous for the Lord. He must have some deep sin he's concealing. That would be a very uncharitable thing for you to think. But what we are arguing against is pretended devotion to the Lord. Pretended devotion is always an offense to God. Always. We are severely warned against devotion that is only superficially to the Lord, only on the surface, that aims to keep people from noticing or seeks to impress people that are that you're repentant when you are not. And it warns us especially against devotion aimed at concealing sin in any way that aims to keep people from noticing that sin. We can include in this any attempt to placate God for a sin we have committed and wish to continue to commit. Don't do that. Don't tell yourself, well, I'll be okay. I'll just, you know, I'll give a little extra in the offering. No, none of that. None of that. The effort we make to put on as if we repented 
when in fact our act of devotion is made without repentance or any intention of repenting. God wants us to be wise first towards himself. Be wise towards the Lord. So consider a few takeaway points. Here you go. Takeaway number one. Devotion to God is a dangerous thing. I said it before. I'll say it again. Devotion to God is a dangerous thing. You must not pretend at it. Pretending is the shortcut. It's easy to be devoted to God when it's not authentic devotion. When you're just going through the motions. Wearing the right clothes. Getting rid of all the wrong music. Showing up for church services. Giving your tithe. Those things are easy, cheap devotion. True devotion is described by that broken and contrite heart and a life of obedience to the Lord and a mind that is fixed on him and delighted with him. And let's be candid about this. You'll have to battle with that for the rest of your life. I don't know of many, if any, Christians who wake up every single day thinking to themselves, I want to really walk with the Lord today. I'm saying, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to cast reflection on anybody at all or to reveal, you know, like, What's wrong with you, Pastor? But, but seriously, there are days you wake up, you don't feel like doing anything. There are days where you wake up and you open the Bible and there's not any life there. There's not any delight there. And we have to push through that and be committed to pursuing God when we feel like it and when we don't. But do not trifle with God. The danger of devotion is in insincerity. Be sincere. Follow him. But don't follow him half-heartedly. Don't go through the motions of following him. Remember to have your loins girt about with truth. Do you remember what that means? It is the truth of God's word truly embraced by the sincere Christian. Now listen, there are a lot of things about God that maybe you don't understand. Here's the thing you can understand and do. You can follow him with all your heart. You can follow him with all your heart. You can day after day pursue him. When it's easy, pursue him. When it's not easy, pursue him. But don't fake it. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. That's what I'm saying. Takeaway number two. Do not toy with sin. Do not toy with it. Sin has the unique power to turn you against the Lord even while 
you are denying that betrayal in your own mind. Sin can cause you to betray the Lord and be in denial about that betrayal. Okay? Don't play with sin. Don't play with sin. Sin will make you false towards the Lord. And it will persuade you that you can keep up the externals because it'll tell you that that's all it is. That's all this is. Just keep up the appearances and you'll be fine. Sin will convince you of that so that you can go to church and look and sound like you're really with the Lord and then go home and be something very contrary to that. Don't toy with sin. Be true to the Lord. Takeaway number three. Do not pretend at repentance. Repentance is between you and God. So you're trying to fake God when you pretend at repentance. It's bad to go on in unrepentance. That's terrible. To say, fine, I'm not going to pretend to repent. I'm not going to repent. That's destructive. When you embrace a sin and refuse to repent, you're saying to God, this sin is so much better than anything you've ever given me. I don't think I have to describe to you how awful and wicked and untrue that is. It's absolutely false. But as bad as that is, it is far worse to hold on to the sin while pretending to repent. When your only goal is to get God off your back and ease your own conscience and placate him, fully intending to go back to that sin. Takeaway number four. I think we all know that we cannot placate God I think I've said that and stressed that and repeated that. And um, I know that I tend to be very repetitious with these things, but hopefully you got the point. You can't placate God. In case I haven't said it, though, let me say it again. You can't placate God. You can't buy him off. Okay. We know that we can't. Even when we try. Knowing that you can't buy God off will never, will not keep you from trying to at times. What we really aim to do is to ease our own conscience, to tell ourselves, well, I'm trying to overcome, I'm trying. So we say, I'm trying, like a teenage boy, right? I'm trying. Your room's a mess. I'm trying. I'm trying to clean it. I'm trying to fix it. You're not fooling God. What you're doing is deceiving yourself with this. It's a dangerous thing. We're most likely to do this with sins that become very precious to us, that we grow to love and enjoy. All right, I was thinking about, and I know that, you know, this is one of those cultural references, but that the one rule, the one ring um, to bind them, Right? The one ring uh, that is to thrill them all, 
and in the darkness bind them. Um, that one ring, it, you can, you know, I don't think Tolkien said what he had in mind with that, but I think of sin. Because sin gives you the, um, the impression, the conceit that you can rule the world. And, and the bigger the sin, and the more you feel sophisticated because of the sin, the more you feel like you are on top of the world. But it is intended to bind you and destroy you. God deliver us from these sins. Takeaway number five, five maneuvers that you think will help you in this thing. Deal with it honestly. Acknowledge it. Recognize the grip that it has on you. Seek help if appropriate. Take bold and definite steps to clear yourself of it. There have been times when I'm wrestling with something and and I have to say, Lord, it's not just the sin. It's that I want it. That's so wicked. That I really desire it. And if I thought I could get away with it, I would do it. That's wicked. Lord, would you cleanse me? Would you deliver me from that? The Bible says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sword, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. That's what God wants from his people. That's what he wants. All right, so I could try for the next verse, and it does have a really interesting phrase in it um, that, you know, is it talking about people who talk a lot? Um, but we're going to have to wait on that. I'm just looking at the time.